Welcome to Principles of Microeconomics. I am your professor, Dr. Terry Elin, coming to you from home to wherever you are. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the economic ride. So today's audio podcast is based on the first segment of this class, and it's just to kind of get you guys uh, thinking about economics a little bit. So the big idea here is understanding the key concepts such as what's to expect in microeconomics versus macroeconomics, what is the big concept of opportunity costs, a little bit of mathematics, and discussing the production possibilities frontier, uh, which will be used in the following segment on trade. So first and foremost, when we think about economics, there's two big groups. There's microeconomics, which looks at how households and firms make their decisions while they interact in the markets. And then there's macroeconomics, which is what you'll often hear about on the news, inflation, unemployment, gross domestic product, economic growth, uh, going through recessions, booms, busts, monetary policy, fiscal policy, interest rates, exchange rates, and whatnot. So macroeconomics is not the subject of this class. You might be registered in it as well. But overall, macroeconomics looks more at global kind of uh, phenomena. Whereas microeconomics, what we're really trying to dive into here is understanding how society manages its scarce resources to satisfy unlimited wants. So the big idea here is that uh, when I think of economics and I think about how to describe it to uh, people who haven't really taken economics and just think of economics as uh, everything I just mentioned that are in macroeconomics, so inflation and whatnot. I'd say that the fun thing about economics is understanding how people make the decisions. So it's whether it's individuals or firms, we're trying to understand how people make the decisions. So uh, my research used to be on climate change treaties and I was trying to find different ways where we could uh, implement in, uh, international trade policies, cap and trade systems or border tax adjustments and what implications that would have on global greenhouse gas emissions. So you're trying to see how a certain government policy can have an impact on firms and individuals across the world. Uh, but it could stretch itself out to many other subjects as well. So for the people who know me, I, I've been involved quite a lot in skiing and snowboarding throughout my life, being a snowboard instructor trainer and a ski guide, heli ski guide. I, I really love to go out skiing, especially in big mountains in the backcountry where there is an avalanche risk. And my new research revolves around uh, trying to understand how people take bad decisions in the backcountry. So trying to see what creates them to uh, take on more risk than they should and what kind of influences they have, what are, uh, is their decision process going through? And you can think, well, that's part of its psychology. And I'd agree that psychology and economics are heavily linked. Um, economics adds the kind of spectrum of how the influence of money can influence people's behavior. And even if it's not money related, if I think of my avalanche research, it's based on cost benefit analysis. So 
I'm trying to see for a certain benefit of going out skiing. So there's a certain amount of snow, there's a certain slope, you're there on vacation. Well, what are the costs involved? And I could easily dive into that more into the future, but I'd say if you're interested in that kind of research, uh, email me or read what I've written and it's available online or take my behavioral economics class, which I actually dive into that a little bit more. But here, it's just the idea of trying to evaluate uh, how people take uh, their actions and how they make their choices. So economics is seen as a science of choices. And overall, when we do economics, there's different ways of doing so. Uh, we could build models and we could try to do empirical research, which kind of looks at what's been done in the past. Uh, like if there's a gun law that was adopted in a certain year and trying to see what the impact on homicides could be, well, we could try to run a statistical analysis with uh, homicides before and after and try to see if there's a statistical link. So if ever you've listened to or read the book Freakonomics, you'd see a lot of those interesting things. Uh, there's also theoretical economics, so we're trying to build theories that apply to uh, real-world events. And then there's also modeling, which I've done uh, in my master's degree with carbon tariffs. So overall, we're trying to develop a theory, and through observations, we're trying to uh, verify that theory. And if it's verified, then it's stuff that you'll learn and stuff that you'll see in class. So the big concept, uh, when I speak to some people who've graduated, friends of mine who've graduated and uh, are uh, <coughs> working uh, in the real world now in different sectors, one of the concepts that people say that they enjoyed and they, they kind of apply in their life is the concept of opportunity cost. And it's a very important concept uh, in the sense that you can't just take a decision on, an, on its own and say, well, I'll do this. It's worthwhile for me to do it. You always have to think about what you're giving up. So let's say for myself, I decided to build my house myself. Well, during the time that I was building it, I was giving up other things I could do. Those other things could have been leisure time. So like just sports and having fun and getting fit and doing competitions or whatever. But there's also the aspect that maybe this time that I was using working on my house, I could have been teaching overloads, I could have been working on research projects, I could have been working on set, setting up a new business and could have generated revenue with all that money. I could have used that time to uh, invest in the stock market. I have a, a finance degree as well. So I, there's a lot of things I could have done with that time. So it's not true to say, well, uh, I'll just build my house myself. It doesn't cost me anything. There's always a certain cost associated to any of your actions, whether it be a fun action or a work type action, that time and that money that you spend, it cannot be used elsewhere. So your opportunity cost, which is your kind of a very important concept is what is your next best alternative? So if I give you $1,000 uh, to buy at a shopping center, well, you could decide to buy like a, I don't know, like a computer worth $1,000, or you could decide to buy a thousand chocolate bars or something else. 
Well, obviously, if you're hesitating between a computer and something else, probably your next best alternative is not a thousand chocolate bars. It will actually be something else. So you might be hesitating between going on a week-long holiday with friends or buying a computer and or extending the use of your computer to go out with friends. So you're making a conscious choice. Uh, as soon as you choose one, that is your choice. And whatever you give up is your opportunity cost. So it's that time that you waste, that uh, resource that you wasted to, to do something else. So anytime you, you see any of these concepts, uh, think about the opportunity costs. Like uh, the other classic example I give is just you guys studying when, when you study you're, there's a certain cost involved, like you have to pay for your tuition and books and everything else, but your opportunity cost is the work, the, the money that you're not earning, working, the years of experience that you're not accumulating. So maybe an employer wants someone with three years experience, but you decide to go to university so you can't accumulate those years of experience. So there's a lot of costs involved. And maybe when you think about your costs and your benefits, you're gonna decide, well, a bachelor's degree is perfect for me. And some other people, they'll do a master's and some other people, they'll do a PhD. It all depends what you want and how it kind of works out with your game plan. Sometimes it makes sense to study more and sometimes it just doesn't. Those extra years of experience make more sense uh, for job opportunities and whatnot. And um, yeah, so there's many other examples you could see in the videos as well. Then there's this whole idea of uh, mathematics, understanding exogenous and endogenous variables or independent independent variables. I'll let you guys go through that in the kind of uh, video slides. And then the last concept here revolves around that concept of opportunity cost is production possibilities frontier or production possibilities boundary and something that we'll be using in the trade example. The whole idea here is when you decide to produce more of a certain good, let's say you're, you have a piece of land and you have a certain amount of machinery to do agricultural work, but you also have machinery to produce t-shirts. Well, if you have a set amount of workers working for you and that's all you have access to and a set amount of resources, well, you could decide to devote more of your time and resources to producing um, agricultural products or you could produce more t-shirts, but there is a choice. And it's the same thing going on, like in the COVID pandemic, you had certain firms that just spent a lot more energy and time producing masks or producing vaccines. Well, those pharmaceutical companies, if they're producing vaccines and you're using machines and people to do so, well, they have less time to produce pills and whatever else that they were already producing. Same thing for the companies producing masks. So as soon as you produce more of something, you're producing less of something else for a fixed amount of resources. So here, the, the thing that's important to keep in mind is we're portraying the relationship between production possibilities of two different goods but for a fixed amount of resources. So we're not able to hire more people. It would kind of change uh, the whole diagram. In reality, we can, but this is just a simplified version where you have a set amount and it just helps see that trade-off. Obviously, if you hire more people, the production possibility is going to kind of shift out and it's just going to give you more possibilities of one good or the other or more of one good and keeping the other one constant. Um, but overall, 
just keep it simple and just assume that all those other things are held as constant for now and see the relationship between the two. So this relationship can be constant, which means that you have the same trade-off all the time. So every time you decide to produce an extra t-shirt, you're giving up a pound of potatoes, but it could actually be changing. And the trade example will be using constant opportunity costs, but in reality, increasing opportunity costs also makes sense uh, in the sense that uh, if you have everyone that's working for you is producing potatoes, well, as soon as you take a few people away and you have them producing shirts, they're going to be very productive at doing so because they'll have access to every single machine out there. They won't have anyone in their way and they'll be able to specialize pretty rapidly and get a lot of production. Um, but as you put more and more people there, uh, then you might have people that are just kind of sweeping the floors and getting materials and they're not the most efficient, they're not the most useful because you have this fixed amount of resources, the, the resources being kind of your machinery and everything else. Same thing goes if you started from a situation where everyone was producing t-shirts and you went to a situation where uh, some are producing potatoes while well, they have access to all the, the, the machinery and everything else required and then they'll be able to harvest quite a lot because maybe the Potatoes were already planted and uh, they just kind of have to pick them up till they, they might bruise a few on the way, but uh, they're going to be able to get a lot rapidly. Uh, if you think of cher and cherry picking or apple picking or anything else, the first apples are always quick to get. It's the, the remaining few after a few people have gone through that become slower and slower to get. So it's that kind of idea that happens there. Um, but all in all, what you have to remember is when you have a production possibilities boundary, whether it's constant opportunity costs or increasing opportunity costs, everything along the boundary is feasible and efficient in the sense that you can't produce more of one without producing less of the other. Uh, whereas something that would be within that boundary would not be seen as efficient because in that situation, you would be producing a quantity of both goods, which, uh, would not be optimal in the sense that you could easily produce more of one of the two goods or a bit more of both and still do so with the same amount of resources. So something's going on that's wrong there. And then anything to the right or beyond the production possibilities frontier or boundary is something that's currently infeasible. Infeasible in the sense that with the current resources that you have, you just can't produce that production bundle. Uh, but we'll see what trade that those things that seem infeasible may become feasible once you introduce specialization and trade and then your consumption possibilities is actually beyond your production possibilities in that case. All in all, this is a short chapter that kind of introduces a bunch of different concepts. I wouldn't say it's the chapter that gets the most evaluated on like midterms and finals, but it's the baseline. And it's just kind of easing in uh, as soon as you move to chapter two and beyond, you'll see that all of those chapters have a, a clearer focus, uh, some clear points that you really have to remember, uh, some clear problems that get expanded and become bigger. So just keep that in mind. This is just easing in into it and uh, I'll catch you guys next time.